Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Hi there, thanks very much for joining us. Yes, it is the time to start thinking about Christmas. We can mention it with impunity. We can talk about shopping, or at least all the shopping we need to do. And what better way to spoil the people in your life than buying them a beautiful handmade Irish gift and supporting our wonderful local producers while we're at it. And no better place to go than the Ballymaloo Craft Fair, which is returning to East Cork for two weekends this month. Hundreds of of makers showcasing their produce across the weekends of November 17th and 24th. Now, one of those is Sarah Ward-Hendry of Rooks in Kinsale, who's going to be there in Ballymaloo at the Craft Fair on November 17th. How you doing, Sarah? I'm great, thank you, Jonathan. Uh, lovely to talk to you. Tell me a little bit about what you do in Rooks. Um, okay, so I make uh, what I like to call luxury leather goods. Um, but they are all made by me. So I have a small workshop just outside of Kinsale. Um, and so I like to design um, well factor products that are also very usable and practical and will wear well. Mm. Um, so that's really what we do there. I have many questions. Uh, the manufacturing and the production of leather always seems to me to be a very kind of dirty business. Is, is it a dirty business? I think, I mean, it goes way back to the Romans and probably, well, before that, I think cavemen um, tanning. But it has cleaned up its act an awful lot. I'd say probably in the last 10 years, there's been a big focus on cleaning up exact because leather is actually one of the most sustainable byproducts. It's the byproduct of the meat industry. Um, so we don't want to put all that stuff into landfill. So luckily, all of those skins are used and produced. Uh, into the most exotic, beautiful um, leather, you know, mm. that I can then make lovely things from. And so, um, how did you fall into this? Because I'd, I'd imagine you did. You wake up one morning and said, "You know what? I could do. I could fashion things out of leather." Or, or was there a journey that brought you to this? Uh, there was a sort of journey. I've been making things ever since I was really young. My mum was a trained fashion designer, so I was taught to pattern cut at a very young age, not really knowing I could do it, but. I grew up with it. Um, but when back in sort of 2010, I wanted to change tack and I went to London College of Fashion to do a short course in uh, shoemaking because um, I always loved shoes. Women love shoes and handbags and I'm no different. Um, but when I was doing the shoe course, I realised you needed an awful lot of machines, uh, a lot of techniques going into doing shoes and then you need lots of sizes. So I thought, no, actually, you know, I might just do handbags and I really loved rucksacks I look like the practicality of using a rucksack so I wanted a rucksack for myself that was funky that I could wear with suits but I could also put the kids things in because I had three children at the time and um and just was a bit different so um I decided to do that and in at that time I looked for a sampler and it was going to cost a lot of money to get them sampled so I thought well I could buy my own machines and do them myself. <laughs> so in other words it started out of necessity and then grew into a business like most yeah. good businesses do. Um, exactly. <laughs> how how big has the range gotten for you? Well um, I, I sort of go from I started out doing rucksacks which they retail at about 500 so they're quite expensive but there's an awful lot of work that goes into those. But we go right down to, I have about 25 different products and they go through right from crossbody bags to small little bags at about 50 euro. We have uh, purses, belts, a great range of 
the perfect jean belts, but also some funky belts and key rings. People could come into our shop and spend as little as 10 euro and still go out with a great piece of rucks. Yeah. I mean, I'd imagine they're all kind of unique in their own way, aren't they? Because there's there's no mass-produced stuff here. Everything is lovingly made by hand. So if you're if you're giving somebody a, a present from rucks, it is unique. I think that's the same with... Uh, lots of the makers that I that's what I love about Ireland is that there are lots of artisan makers here and when you make uh, I mean I, I can do manufacturing I can make a run I'm used to being able to work around manufacturing so you in manufacturing obviously you do runs of hundreds whereas I would scale that right back down to maybe 10 there may be sometimes I do a product where I just want to make one see how it goes Sometimes I just have the desire to make something and I just make one out of the most amazing skin I found. Um, but the ones that are the main runners, I would probably make uh, about 200 a year, but I have to put those into batches of, say, 20 to 30 at a time uh, across a certain amount of colours. Yeah, um, uh, but the thing is the public obviously responds to this because so when you started selling them you realised, hang on a second, there there is a bit of a business here and something that I actually enjoy doing. So um, what is the reaction like when people come into the shop or will see you at the craft fair? I have an amazing, that's what I love about my job. I am so lucky to have a great job because when I am in the shop, because I do try and do a few days in the shop and doing things like the Bali Malou means you have a great touch point with your customer. Um, I mean, the Irish and also the American tourists, we get a lot of those and European tourists, the reaction is just fantastic. I mean, I had a lovely couple come into the shop a few weeks ago and they were just blown over by what we were doing and they came back to the shop in the evening and took me out to dinner and that was oh, just wow. it was just lovely um <laughs> so you know it's not it's sort of sociable as well you're making something special you're making something by hand that somebody then remembers buying it that day they remembers you as a personality they remember the shop Kinsale, going to ireland or living close by yeah and that piece, that piece lives with them for a long time. Uh, you, you, you were a costume um, knitwear, working knitwear. In costume, knitwear in <laughs> the BBC. So, do, do you yeah. still watch telly? Sometimes go, I did that. That's my bit. Well, sometimes there is a rerun, and I see something of something I've made, um, like last of the summer wine compose hat, which is quite famous. Oh, wonderful! For, you made compose. Yeah, I knitted I'm those. I'm instantly yeah. impressed, Sarah. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of mad stuff I did. I did one of Doctor Who's characters. Um, Sylvester McCoy did his um, all sorts. I did the the series of um, Noel Edmonds' Late Late Breakfast Show, so I did his jumpers for that. So I had to produce a jumper every week because it went out live. Um, that was fantastic. But that that period of designing for the BBC meant that I had to take a brief and work it very quickly and make sure that it was at TV centre often to go out on a live show. So it really made you work quickly yeah. within parameters, a brief. You realise yeah, a deadline is a deadline. Uh, and uh, yeah. Noel Edmonds could not go jumperless. And that, that's the obvious thing. <laughs> uh, the craft fair, you've talked about it. It's a great experience. Lots of people coming together. Obviously, because it's Ballymaloo, there's great food there as well. There's a Lego club, club for the kids. Uh, and you yeah. can just wander around. It is a lovely thing to get involved in either if you are a producer like yourself or indeed a member of the public who can just rock up on the day 
Yeah, well, um, I love going there as well, as not just because a stall holder, but going there because you see lots of fantastic people. You you see new people that are designers of maybe having their stuff made possibly uh, in Europe, but they've designed and come up with the concept and they're trialling it at Ballymaloo. They're trying to get a reaction to the customer base at Ballymaloo, which is a great place to start. Um, so it means that I also go running around all the stalls and seeing what's great and what's new and I buy from there myself because um, it's unique stuff. It's just lovely and it's made with love. Most of it is made with love and Absol- passion. Oh, I very much like your own stuff. I'm looking at your website now, which is rooks.ie. It's, it's wonderful. If you're looking for a Christmas present, a meaningful Christmas present, do head along yes. and, and have a look what's there. And as I said, Ballymaloo Craft Fair weekends of November the 17th and 24th down in East Cork at Ballymaloo. Sarah Ward-Hendy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you, Jonathan. Business Information Systems is part of the Cork University Business School at UCC. It's a course that combines business subjects with IT and it's been providing students with a diverse set of skills and a broad understanding of business problems and technologies for many years. Now, the class of 2023 has just been celebrating their graduation with a very special breakfast event. That itself has been an important part of the programme for the last 26 years. And amongst those attending that event, Dr. Kira Fitzgerald, co-director of the BIS degree program. Kira, how are you? I'm great, Jonathan. How are you? I'm very well. So 146 graduated from BIS this year. So that's that's a significant number showing the course is still really popular. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're celebrating our 30th birthday this year. So we took our first intake in 1993 with an intake of 25. So the class has significantly grown over the last 30 years. So tell us what's so important about BIS. Yeah, so I think BIS is a very unique degree in the sense of that we we are a combination of both the business subjects and the the um, information system subject. Um, I am a BIS graduate myself, so I graduated 20 years ago and the course is as strong as it, as it was then. It is now even more so in the sense of, I think you could argue that every company now is in some form a technology company. They're using technology in some in some shape or form. And our graduates are able to kind of adapt to the emerging technologies and all the challenges and opportunities that they bring. I'd imagine it's very different, Kira, uh, from when you studied. But the point of having a background like this is that it enables you to evolve in the workplace. Absolutely, yeah. We have a very strong um, industry advisory board who advise us on um, the changing landscape in organisations all of the time and we react to that. So, for example, um, last year we brought in Python programming and that was on the back of our, our advisory board um, so that we're meeting industry demands all of the time. And, and like you said, in the reaction to that, the landscape is changing. Um, technology is becoming critical to so many business decisions in industries, not just maybe financial technology, which is might have been before, but now healthcare, pharmaceutical, education, there is there's no end to the limits in terms of where our graduates end up um, and securing those top jobs that companies are really uh, striving for. I, I know having spoken to people who've done the course and hearing how much they're earning when they hit the workforce, I mean, they're, they're going in at a very high level, aren't they, straight out of college? I mean, that has to be appealing for any young person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they can hit the ground running after the four years. The reason why they, you know, not many of what we have about 96% um, employment rate. So not many go on and do masters um, straight after graduation they, because they're 
is so highly sought after by the companies. And I think that's due to we have a six month paid placement in um, third year. Um, and like that, they go to companies in based in Ireland and abroad. And they're, you know, they're not in there, Jonathan, making the tea or doing the photocopying. They hit the ground running in the sense they're adding value to agile teams um, right across different industries. And we get them ready for placement. We're a unique program in the sense we have a personal um, development module from first year right through to fourth year where you get to to really get them ready um, and to appreciate all the challenges that working in industry will bring um, and so that they can they can start adding value and that, that they have that on their CV then after third year so many of them come back from placement with job offers um, and then also they're they're highly sought after by the top graduate programs um, across across the world Now it's always good to have a returning hero you are one of those yourself having gone and studied there a couple of years ago but uh, Clara Walsh who works in WorkVivo, a brilliant company that was acquired just last year by Zoom. Uh, she graduated from BIS in 2014 and she was your guest speaker at the recent breakfast event. Yes, she was. Clara is amazing and what a role model to all the, the graduates that we had last Thursday morning. Like she re- she spoke, Clara, she's so humble in her talents, but she she really, she she's kind of epitomises BIS in the sense her message that morning was that not to be afraid to try things. Like she's worked in a multitude of different roles. She started in State Street. She she worked on some research projects here with us in UCC. Um, she was in CORE and like that, she was their first employee to work Vivo. So in any startup situation, and she, you know, you don't join one dedicated role. She worked across, she said she was in finance and now she's leading out their customer um, facing role and their people operations. And she's just, I think, yeah, she she's incredible in terms of what she has achieved in such a short space of time. Um, and we were so grateful that she came back uh, to, to talk to the graduates. Well, you've one group just out the door. There's another group presumably just in the door studying. So if you are a parent of a child who is in fifth or sixth year, are they the ones you're targeting right now? Yes, yeah, we 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 are we're we're keen to promote the program as as widely as we can. I think sometimes one of our challenges with BIS is that I suppose you look at at, at the account at the programs that are available, and if you see accounting, you know you're going to become an accountant, you know. Whereas our teaching, and you go teacher. Uh, become a teacher whereas it's, it's BIS all, it's all very boring I mean the bit of spice yeah. you need and BIS gives you that you can go off and work in any kind of sector it's a little bit like a wonderful base degree to set you out into the world Absolutely yeah and I think when you hear of the success stories you know like the Work Vivo itself the co-founder Joe Lennon is a BIS grad um, one of the uh, co-founders of Trusted was a BIS graduate we have you know in terms of they are directors and vice presidents in companies in New York, Chicago. And, and it really is, it's, I think when you you see the opportunities and they're so varied, and maybe that's maybe one of the messages we'd like to get across is that you do so many, you do all the commerce type projects, subjects in terms of accounting and economics, um, um, but also the IS projects then in terms of, yeah, there is programming, but there's also design systems analysis. So if you like problem solving, if you like working in teams, a lot of load of our projects are very collaborative we have a dedicated lab space where the students are in there and even though we have a class size of 146 or 150 they very much they get to know each other so um, we kind of pride ourselves on I meet them in in small groups we have coffee together Um, and why that's important because they really are joining a BIS network, a really highly replicable BIS network who will be their network for life you know they so it's it's great. 
you have a fantastic uh, reputation, fantastic advocates right around the world selling it on for you. But Kira, it's been lovely talking to you today. Dr. Kira Fitzgerald, a graduate of the BIS degree programme uh, and also uh, a co-director of said programme. Now, thanks for talking to us today, Kira. Fantastic, Jonathan. Thank you. The emergency medical response charity Critical does extraordinary work with a team of volunteer doctors and medics right around the country and around Cork responding to life-threatening injuries, illnesses and incidents. Now, they're establishing a network of voluntary emergency medical responders with the aim of having teams in every city, every town and every village across the country. But the charity very much relies on corporate donations to fund its life-saving work. Its CEO is Michal Sheridan, who's with me now. Hello, Michal. How are you? Hi, Jonathan. Uh, Critical has recently announced a new team up in North Cork. So who's on that team and what do they do? Yeah, so there's a, really, I suppose it's a mix of people that are, they're all volunteers. Um, They either work in in hospitals as uh, emergency medical consultants uh, or emergency medical doctors, or they are uh, what are called off-duty responders working with the National Ambulance Service um, who have agreed to give up their time uh, to respond to medical emergencies road traffic collisions, trauma calls uh, in North Cork. Um, and then what happens is we, through donations from uh, companies um, and from the general public, uh, we then provide them with, um, you know, in the case of the doctor, it's car and, and medical equipment in terms of the responders, the off-duty responders. It's a, it's a response bag um, so that then they have the, they have the capability to uh, respond to, to as I said, to medical emergencies in the area uh, or in their local community. A critical has a brilliant background because it started out as the Irish Community Air Ambulance, which you guys convinced the state to finally pay for, which meant you were able to funnel all your activity into these emergency responders. How realistic is it, though, that we'll have them right around the country? Oh, it's absolutely, it's, it's realistic. I mean, we're not, we're not getting ahead of ourselves here. If I look back to the start of the year, you know, when I look at the helicopter, it was serving Munster. You know, so you're talking five, six counties, primarily maybe f- four counties where the, where the helicopter was going. If I look at where our doctors were based, we're based in Mayo, uh, Mayo, Donegal, Dublin. Um, and that was really it. So like we, we had a very limited presence. Um, on last count, when I look at our taskings for our, our doctors and our off-duty responders um, and even our new CFR groups, um, la- at the end of last month, we were in 14 counties. Um, and so the the opportunity is there. I mean, we've if, you know, look, I'm I'm originally from Cavan. Uh, we've never had a presence there. Uh, we now have off duty responders in Cavan. We have them in. We have twelve, thirteen off duty responders in Cork. Uh, we have we we also have our team in in North Cork. Uh, we also have a new CFR group that we're looking to set up in in the North Cork area in the new year. Um, similarly, doing things like that in in places like West Limerick. So um, so it's very real. Um, it's about funding. Uh, so we can set up, so an off-duty responder, uh, if you pick an area anywhere in Cork um, and, and we say, we have somebody who contacts us and says, listen, I, I work with the National Ambulance Service. Uh, I'd love to volunteer in my spare time when I'm off. Um, could the charity provide me with the ability to do that? That's a responder bag uh, with a defibrillator in it and then uh, response capabilities. Um, that costs 1,400, 1,500 euro for the charity. Mm. So, it, it's just a money thing. So, you know, we, we our plan for our Christmas campaign this year, for example, uh, is to encourage companies uh, to kind of get the ball rolling with us and to say, listen, I'm, I, you know, I, I knew the Air Ambulance. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm getting to know Critical a little bit better. I understand what you do. I've been to your website. How can I help? Um, and, and a really good way for, t- for companies to start to work with us 
um, is by is is coming in and saying, "Listen, we'll let's sponsor some responder yeah. bags." So I, I was just going to say the the people who will respond are incredible human beings. The the ambulance, the paramedics, uh, the EMTs, the first responders, GPs. You know, they are willing to give of their time. What you need is people to fund the bags so that the bags are available to those who want to volunteer. Correct. So. If I, if I pick a very good example and, and probably a very good case study for us, in, in recent months, uh, we've reached an agreement with Canada Life. So for the next three years, they're going to provide us with €45,000 worth of responder bags. Um, in return, what they're getting is they're getting, look, they're getting their branding on bags. That's fine. But what they're actually getting is the reality that for every bag that they provide, uh, we know there's a very high likelihood that that bag will be called to a a, a life-threatening or a, an urgent medical emergency, a, a man, woman, a child in communities right across the country. So there's a very clear, tangible uh, link between Canada Life's CSR objectives uh, and the objectives of the charity, which is to save life. Mm. And it's delivered very simply in the form of a response bag, uh, which costs, which, which is said earlier on, costs 1,500 euros. So yeah. it's a very clear, tangible, simple thing to understand. You give us 1,500 euro or more. <laughs> uh, the more 1,500 euros we get from people, the more bags we fund. The more bags we fund, the more responders we have in the community, um, the more lives we can save in communities. Um, and, and it really means the difference between somebody having a, a cardiac arrest on the, on the street in Glenmire um, and, and somebody witnessing that and ringing 999. And even that close to the city, you know, you might be talking 15, 20 minutes for an ambulance to arrive. Um, what we want to do is have somebody who's an off-duty responder who's living in Glanmire um, who gets the text alert to say, you know, there's been a cardiac arrest. They look at it and they know it's five minutes away. They hop in their car. They, you know, they have our bag in their boot or they throw it over their shoulder. They get into the car and they're there in minutes. And, mm. and you know, they, those, you know, that's really what's crucial here in terms of any medical emergency or trauma, whether it's stopping bleeding or somebody's gone into a cardiac arrest. Uh, it, it's really around really, really quick early speed, intervention. Absolutely, it is speed, speed of the essence. Now, you've appointed a partnership manager as well. That's a new role for the charity. So is, is their job to to try to liaise with those companies that might want to give? Correct. So Jeppe Rasmussen has joined us. Uh, Jeppe had worked with one of the well-known charities in Cork City, um, has a lot of experience with uh, in dealing in, in partnerships with, with companies, uh, both here and abroad. Um you know, and already, as I said, we've had success. Canada Life, SSE, um, are both uh, companies that have said, "Look, we w- we want to do this. We'll we'll bu- we'll buy you bags. You give them to responders. Um, you have impact in local communities." Um, yeah. So Jeppy Jeppy's our our partnerships manager. Um, Jeppy's contactable on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, he can also be through our website, and people can send us can send an email to us. Um, and yeah, it's just look. What we'll do is we what we want to do is work with companies to say. You know, what, what are your objectives from this? Um, you know, how does it fit with either your, your CSR agenda uh, or your, your own company values? Um, you know, and, and then is there a fit? Uh, okay. And if there is, then brilliant, we move forward. Um, the other opportunities, and, you know, it would be wrong for me just to focus on the, on, on the response bags. You know, we have, we have doctors all around the country um, who drive around in, in response vehicles. They have expensive medical equipment in them, portable ventilators. Um, you know what are called Lucas machines, which can do automated automatic chest compressions. Uh, you know there's a there's a huge opportunity for companies here to say, you know, like whether our budget and the reality is whether our budget is two hundred and fifty euro, or whether our budget is two hundred and fifty thousand euro. What we can do is we can identify opportunities for companies uh, to to be able to support something that's very tangible, a piece yeah. of equipment 
a vehicle, a responder bag, and know then that that piece of equipment or that bag is going out into the community and is being tasked by the National Ambulance Service and is having a direct impact yeah. on the lives of people I, and I communities. Genuinely, can't think of a better way that companies could spend some of the money that they may want to give in in, in their CSR activity towards the end of this year than this. Criticalcharity.ie. All the details are there and how you can contact Mihal and Jeppy and all the all the other team. Mihal Sheridan, CEO of Critical. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of Red Business. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, Red Business in Focus, with thanks to Cork's local enterprise offices, is available right now on redfm.ie. Fiona Corcoran was the producer, and we'll catch you on the next one. Get the Red Business podcast every week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie and wherever you get your podcasts.